Reitman University. The Wandering Jew Podcast. Exploring beautiful humans, thoughts, and experiences with Naomi Edelman. Welcome to the Wandering Jew Podcast. I'm your host, Naomi Edelman. I thank you for joining me on this journey to explore the diverse experiences of modern Jewry. Today's guest is a very special friend of mine and one of the very first people I met in university. I would like to welcome this beautiful human, Ian Yechiel Woodbridge. He is a second year student in business and entrepreneurship and specializes in marketing and hails all the way from England. As an American, I will really try my best to overlook that unpleasantness. And he is also a self-described as having a casual Jewish background. So I would like to say welcome, Ian. Hello. Hello. And uh, can you please expand on what does a casual Jewish background mean? What did your home look like growing up? Okay. Um, So my home was probably as uh, modern orthodox as they come. Um, Very modern um, in terms of like uh, Kashrut, Shabbat. Um, I went to like a religious school, but um, that being said, like uh, it was also a very, very like unusual um, Jewish home because my dad's family wasn't Jewish. Um, his mom was halachically Jewish. Mm-hmm. He found out he was Jewish, decided to become Haredi, as you mm. do at the age of 14. Yes. Um, by 18, was in Gateshead Yeshiva, which is a very big one in wow. the UK. Um, my mom had gone to Israel, gone back to England, met him. They got married. Yeah. Um, moved to Stamford Hill. Decided Haredi wasn't the vibe. Yeah. Um, not so fun, apparently. Um <laughs> And then they moved to like more modern areas. Um, then my dad was kind of like, you know what? It's not just Haredi that's not the vibe. It's kind of like this Judaism thing is like a lot of work. You mm-hmm. know, it's a mm-hmm. lot. And to be fair, he's not wrong. Um, and so then that was <laughs> that was sort of a, a shift in the uh, dynamic of a Jewish home. Um, yeah. And now he's I doesn't really live such a, a Jewish life. Um, my mom has been, you know, back and forth. I think I mean, religiousness. I think it, if it's authentic, is going to be an ebbing and flowing. Like it's not yeah. just a constant. Like this is the way my family was, so this is the way I am. And so I think that she had her own journey to go on as well. Mm-hmm. And for me, that kind of meant that I, I, I always understood Judaism as a journey. You know, it wasn't like yeah. a set thing, which sucked because I was in a religious school where Judaism had to be a certain way. It's a goal yeah, <laughs> that you achieve. Right? Yeah, I was kind of, I was of the, the mindset. I think I had a very adult mindset towards Judaism of like, this is an exploration of self. And like right, right. that that was sort of what got me kicked out of a lot of classes as well in school. <laughs> so, um, got it. Yeah. Um, you know, being a profound like eight-year-old. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's like a, it's a weird mix of the two. I always feel like I, I existed on like, I existed in the modern Orthodox world as an outsider and in the rest of the world as like this modern Orthodox outsider. Right, right. Um, Wow. Wait, Ian, I just want to pause there for a second. What you just said was so unbelievably relatable to me. It's just (laughs) insane because I had also gone to, you know, um, yeshiva when I was younger 
and you know my family like my mom and brothers had converted and my family was from the Soviet Union and you know we were becoming religious and all that so it was obviously an awkward fit to say the least and then also at the same time like in the secular world you feel that you have this deeper yearning and there's something inside of you that you feel like even to this day I would say I feel in the secular world I feel not quite like I fit in but there are many elements that are so familiar to me and that I greatly appreciate and then in the religious world same thing so then you end up finding yourself in this weird you know awkward (laughs) awkward position yeah so how do you how would you say that you navigate that now or do you still feel that way now um I definitely like I definitely could feel that way now um like if I focused on it enough okay like I could absolutely feel like an outsider in one and an outsider in the other yeah but I think at a certain point I sort of got to that like uh retirement age not that I'm all that that old (laughs) but in terms of like you know when like you just get to a certain age and you don't care yeah um I'm excited to get to those like ripe old 80s you know so I'd say religiously I'm like 73 maybe Mm -hmm. yeah roundabout roundabout Um, 70s yeah in July I'll be 74 (laughs) um happy birthday thank you um but in terms of of how that affects me now is Mm -hmm. I would actually argue the opposites happen which is like if I'm not gonna feel like yeah I don't stress about it nice nice okay I want to go back to talking about this weird in-between that we find ourselves in, it reminds me of this book written by Rev Soloveitchik, or these essays written by Rev Soloveitchik, where he's discussing the two atoms. Have you ever Lonely heard? Man of Faith, yeah. Yes, Lonely Man of Faith. Um, thank you. And he's discussing the two atoms. So for people who don't know about that, I'll just kind of give a brief overview of the concept and then you can obviously I want to hear your thoughts and opinions and correct me where I'm missing things or where I'm wrong but essentially um, people who don't believe in the divinity of the bible provide the examples of the two first chapters of genesis to be examples of that there are multiple authors and therefore it is not a divine document whereas Rav Soloveitchik talks about the intentionality of those two chapters and that no they specifically are meant to emphasize two different facets of man so in chapter one he references adam one and that's how he calls him so adam one is the type of person that and and this is something that you know really um emulates just human nature overall and we're just going to talk about the extremes in order to understand the nuances but you know adam one is somebody who wants to conquer the world he wants mastery over the world he wants understanding he wants to pursue he wants to create and i think we all can relate to that and have elements of that within ourselves and um then there's adam two in chapter two where it's this the more spiritual side of man where it's somebody who wants to connect to something greater than themselves and has a deep sense of inadequacy and, you know, all these more existential ontological, um, you know, thoughts. So, um, yeah, I just want to know, and, and, you know, I think it's kind of a good, um, 
proposition for modern orthodoxy in that you create a synthesis of those two things. And obviously everyone has elements of both of those things. I think everyone can relate to feeling both of those um, extremes, uh, but, you know, creating a perfect synthesis of those two. So what do you think about Adam 1 and Adam 2, and which one do you relate to more? So I think this, this touches on a subject that I think I, I think about a lot, because this is, for me, I don't know if uh, there's anything that I would call it an absolute proof of Judaism, mm -hmm. but these specific concepts make me believe that there is a truth to the universe that all people are capable of finding. And it's, it's these kinds of concepts of the duality of mankind, right? Like um, uh, Soloveitchik goes very, very into detail about these aspects and he kind of paints a picture of of the more animal side of humans and the more spiritual side of humans right. and um how that is a conflict in relationship that there is um you know this thing that wants to be great and this thing that you know is is a beast almost right and that the, the fact that we are both um that there's this higher level and lower level of thinking is it's it's something that that you find in terms of almost every major religion yeah um but also in in shocking similar texts uh from around the world from years years ago versus recently and when i say recently i mean 300 years ago i always <laughs> yesterday I, I always uh cite the fact that like for example in buddhism you mm -hmm. know there's a very very big big duality of man concept with uh we could call it the same thing as what you'd find in in judaism with gulf and nefesh mm -hmm. um and in the tanya that it talks about the exact same thing not word for word but like as close as you get that if you blurred your eyes you'd see the same thing right right um and so it's crazy how to to most people looking inwards to find truth there's a similar answer for a lot of people whether they're Jewish, whether they're Buddhist, whether they're Muslim, Christian, yeah. Catholic, whatever. Beautiful. It's, right. it, and for me, again, that it, it resonates with so many people so widespread. Um, there's something to that, that that is more powerful than, again, I won't call it uh, a, a proof of Judaism, mm -hmm. but I'd say that um, any, philosopher, any philosopher can find a... <laughs> um like depth in a puddle like if you look for it you can find it and it's it's true i think that the the with this as well like the the depth is there the truth is there that we are people of conflict we are people of anxiety we are people that want to be great we are people that do things that we want and we're people that do things that we don't want because we think we want them and if we do anything and we feel regret but we wanted it in the moment that shouldn't make sense like why right. did what but yet we know these things are true Right. Um, so I would say that I don't I don't identify with either Adam in terms of like uh, an individual side, but I fully identify with the concept as a whole because like I I see myself as both, and I see the conflict right. within that, and right. I struggle with it all the time. Mm -hmm. I think that is existence. Existence is a struggle of just like I'm made up of stuff, and yet I feel right. Right. I want to do things. 
but they're not necessarily things that will further me spiritually, right? Mm -hmm. I could waste time. I could be in bed watching Netflix and be like, this is exactly what I want to be doing right now. <laughs> exactly, Only to yeah. look back at my day and say, but did I do anything of that? Right, right, right. Like right. That's, that's the human experience. Yeah. And I think that it's a powerful thing that, that supersedes like Judaism in terms of like uh, how... Uh, like widespread it is but it's something that that is very clearly at least in terms of most schools of thought a very jewish concept that we yeah. can all relate to which yeah. is mad to me yeah it's amazing i love that you said um that you were you were talking about how this is kind of some eternal truth that multiple religions have touched upon because that that's something that i find to be really unifying and that you know some of these religions when they came up with certain concepts, they were so isolated from each other, but they all touched upon the same thing. And that's such a unifying concept and makes you feel way more connected to everyone around the world. And, you know, oftentimes I also find myself oscillating between feeling part of a group and then trying to find my individuality, which is also something Silvichik talks about in Adam 1 and Adam 2. And, you know, I sometimes you you feel like you want to be a part of a group or you identify with certain cultures with certain languages religions whatever with a certain people and then other times you want to create your own individuality with those and then other times you just find that all of these distinctions are kind of arbitrary and you probably would have been the same as the person in you know Uzbekistan if you had grown up there and lived there and you know where where you were created really forms your perception of the world and it's just so I don't know exciting to me that humans are all the same and it just really magnifies their beauty I think that we are all going through this experience together and what we choose to do with our lives in this small period of time that we occupy it I think is I think that's mainly what defines us as individuals is what we is the decisions that we make and what we choose to do with the time that we're given because everything else is kind of not necessarily in our control in terms of you know the things that we attach our identity to. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you do you believe in God? Yes. Okay. Cool. Moving on? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, you can go further into it. <laughs> yes, I would love to. I want to ask you, what does God, who is God to you? What is, how do you experience God? I think, I think that the biggest mistake we can make in terms of religious thought is to, to ask the question of who. Um, because God is not something like we are human beings and we'll think in human terms and we think right. very, very clearly about things. So there's a thing with intent and what does that mean? Like it's and then, you know, we put like a human form in the sky and it's like this thing that that like, you know, like we try man to relate. With the beard. Yeah. Sitting. Man with the beard. Never a lady, you know. No, it's, no, no. Ew. Yeah. Um, and uh it's it's interesting to me because I think I think the concepts make more sense than than that to me in terms mm -hmm. of what God is because God God is I, I think of like a cheesy one liner like if you drop the if you add a if you add a, a an O then God is just good you know <laughs> um, but like no like 
It's like a pickup line. Yeah, <laughs> for you're God. right. Very, very cheesy. And you know what? It works, you know? <laughs> that's why he answers, you know? Yeah. Or Hashem. Um, that's why you guys are homies. Got yeah. it. Uh, but the fact that, that we believe, and that most people believe in the existence of good, like that's not something that we really like debate as a society, yeah. right? Like there are going to be people like, what is good really? You know, mm-hmm. and I, I know those people and I do not enjoy those people's company. Relativist. Uh, <laughs> it just drives me nuts. Right. Um, but we'll, I'll gladly debate it. But what is good? What is evil? What is bad? What is wrong? Right? These are things that exist. Now, I remember watching um, The Hogfather. It's a Terry Pratchett book turned into a TV movie. All right. And there's a line in it. I'd, I'd have to like... I, I'll do the best to quote it, but it's Death talking to, um, I think it's his daughter about the Hogfather, because they believe that if the Hogfather doesn't uh, uh, get up in the morning to do a certain thing, then the world will end, essentially. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, this is a belief. And, like, at the end of the movie, it, like it's established that, that that wouldn't happen anyway. Like, the world would just continue. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the belief that gives it power. And... Um, in terms of like his big speech, he has this like crescendo, which is um, like if you ground up the world to the most finest of particles, every atom, like sand, uh, you wouldn't find an element called good. You wouldn't find an ele- element called truth. You wouldn't find an element, but they exist because we believe they exist. Right. Um, and so clearly there is the existence of something outside of the world of physics, the world of biology, the world of chemistry that we can all agree exists. Now, I just happen to believe that we can call the amalgamation of that God, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? That whether there's intent in terms of what I'm supposed to do in a Jewish life or whatever other religion I could have been born into is a, is a conversation that absolutely should be had. But if we believe in good and we believe in bad, and we believe that it's a mission probably to bring more good into the world than bad, mm-hmm. which I would say is a very human moral way of thinking. Um, that's essentially what I believe. And I just call that God. Understood. Understood. And okay. Okay. Yeah. I think that that's a very reasonable way to approach God and much more within the Jewish perspective. Um, yeah, I, I recognize that sometimes, you know, growing up in America, which is predominantly a Christian country, there are many influences, it, whatever, the, the religions were influenced by each other, and that's fine, but sometimes we take on certain things that we don't actually, that aren't within our ethic. So... I find that to be confusing sometimes, but your perspective on God, I think, is more so in line with traditional Jewish beliefs. And it's more practical, like everything's a lot more practical, you know, which I think is blah, blah, blah. Hmm. Anyway, <laughs> I think I think the, that something that I've I've come to, to realize is that all things that aren't well have symptoms. All things that aren't well have symptoms. Yeah, to a degree. And I think that... What do you mean that aren't well? Well, I'll get into it. Okay. <laughs> um, I think the like, one thing that, that was a struggle for me in terms of Judaism mm-hmm. and other things as well, uh, humans as a collective, when we do things a certain way, there tends to be 
hierarchical structures that that can disregard people quite easily. Yes. Um, where, tribalism. Tribalism. Yeah. You know, you look at like uh, like end of temple period Israel, like the Kohanim and what they were doing mm-hmm. to Judaism to make it a thing that benefits them, resulted in a lot of bad for the Jewish people. Um, can you give an example? I think I think that they they took liberties in what was uh, in t- like entitled to them mm-hmm. um, at that time, and I think that they kind of wanted to be in charge. They were in charge of the temple service, and I don't think they were necessarily doing things for Jewish reasons as much as for for selfish reasons. And mm-hmm. you see it in the text as well. I can't quote to, as directly as I'd like to. <laughs> That's okay, um, Rabbi. <laughs> furthest thing from a rabbi. <laughs> Um, but all sorts of these kinds of things have what you'd see is like a negative, negative thing that happens within it as well. Like the Catholic Church, we can talk about all the awful things that have happened there. We can talk about in Judaism and, you know, you hear about it in communities. There's things yes. that are very negative, to say the least, and life ruining for a lot of people. And sometimes there's a community protection of bad behavior. Right, um, right. I think that it's it's challenging because humans seem to naturally organize themselves into hierarchical structures, and there's a lot of benefits to those things, but obviously easily corruptible, and there need to be systems in place in order to protect from those corruptions. But at the same time, it's hard to, you know, totally you know, throw out the baby with the bathwater and, uh, you know, have to be more nuanced about it. But it's true. Like, of course, there are so many examples of corruption. It's not that, you know, you're, you're Jewish, you're Christian, you're Muslim, your, your religion is good. And therefore, humans are still susceptible to their humanity, you know? Yeah. What, what I meant in terms of symptoms then as well is that then, you know, when people are taking these things to a certain level and they're kind of removing the the religion from the situation yeah and it becomes about self-interest right you see you see that they uh as a society there's there's symptoms in terms of the negative things eventually disappear they 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 can't exist in the way that they are existing and um i think i think for me what i slowly slowly started realizing is that if i don't like it and it's probably not the thing I, I, I think it is. As mm-hmm. in, like, if, it, if it's all about being good and treating people well, I could blame that on, on Judaism if I really, really wanted to. But, you know, then I'm giving it all the credit and I'm not giving people any credit there. Like, I think right, people right. are capable of doing very, very bad things. Um, and I think it is important to not only separate, but if in terms of, like, me, I, I was given a very, very good question by a friend of mine. Um, when I was quite fed up and she basically said okay so you leave right like you you think that you're trying to do this the good way right and and there's problems within it and you think because of those problems you 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 don't want to be a part of it anymore you don't want to legitimize it with your presence whatever it might be um all right let's say everyone thinks like you Mm -hmm. right now you've all the good people have gone what's left the rock yeah and she had a point, and I, I really did. I took some time to think about it. And again, I'm not the perfect religious Jew, like right. very far from it. Right. But in terms of what I do want to bring to the table within it, 
um, yeah, I think that there is something to that. Like, I think that if I do see things that I don't think are good, uh, I'm in a position within, you know, the groups of people that I'm a part of where I can say something. Mm -hmm. You know, when I, I see things that, that are problematic, and for the most part, uh, much to, like, angry younger me's uh, dismay, people mm -hmm. listen. <laughs> Uh, which is, you know, means that I have to say, and it's a rare, rare thing for me to say, so it's being said recorded, is I was wrong. Um, oof, which, oof. yeah. Uh, Hardest words to admit to yourself. I think that most people want to be good, and most people want to have the opportunity to be good, and most people want a collaborator in being good. Right. And so sometimes it just takes one person to be like, that's not okay. For them to be like, great, motivation, I'm, I'm in. Let's do something mm. about that. Nice. I, I love that you just mentioned a collaborator in doing good. That's a very poignant uh, point. And that's exactly to me the purpose of community is that there are so many moments where we ha we require social signaling in order to keep us on the you know correct path. And I I think that that was such a good way of putting it. So I appreciate that. I think that there's I, I often also feel a similar way to you in in terms of it, I, I think this is an example of what I was talking about before about oscillating between, you know, the group identity and then your individual identity is that you feel certain things about the amalgamation of the group just isn't in, in line with your ethic or not even necessarily that severe, but something it's just not in line with your vibe, basically, <laughs> or it's just certain things that you just feel not comfortable with or you personally don't want to do. And I think that there's sometimes you come to the conclusion, which in reality is actually rather audacious you know you say oh I know better <laughs> you know and, and I'm gonna go and do my own thing because I figured out how to do it in a better way and it's kind of audacious in the fact that you know the, these practices have been in place for you know millennium and I think that there's I love the phrase it has stood the test of time it has stood the test of of time. I think that's really powerful. Something that has stood the test of time, that means it's gone through many, many iterations in order to prove that it is, there's something true there. Like there's something that's a value and you deciding that you are the smartest one out of, you know, Can so I many generations. That? Yes, please go ahead. Um, I think the, yes, there's something to going through the crucible. Um, However, I also think that we're not, as a religion, you know, uh, impervious to PTSD. <laughs> like, I think that Judaism is also going through a massive change right now because mm -hmm. we, we were focused for the past 2,000 years on survival right. and not necessarily on uh, the growth and beauty and all the the bottom line things in Judaism in terms of why we do what we do and mm -hmm. how we do what we do and it was a lot more focused on if you keep doing it your kids will do it and their kids will do it and they right. won't win the enemies won't win and a lot of people wanted us to stop doing it so I get the rebellion right but I think that with that if you let's say look at some of the uh more exact to the letter of the law communities a lot of the the love of the law is is lacking and i think that the a lot of the beauty can be lost from the mentality of withstanding the test of time mm -hmm. 
And so, you know, like, for example, if you look at my high school, most people that were religious and more religious than me uh, are probably less religious than me now. Right. And I've noticed that trend as well. And I've heard a lot of people saying that. And I'm not sure what's in the water. I would imagine that trying to survive in a time when it's quite easy to mm-hmm. doesn't feel like it makes sense. Yeah, that's something that you notice a lot when things are actually, when there's some element of your identity that's challenged, you oftentimes see people identifying even stronger with it. Like you notice that with Ukraine, yeah. you know, they weren't, many people felt a lot more, um, you know, they used to be part of the Soviet Union, like they identified with with that. And then once they were, you know, challenged by Russia and attacked, then all of a sudden people were really heavily identifying with the Ukrainian identity. More specifically, I could tell you like people who were, um, you know, people who I know uh, who would say they prior to the war would say they're from Russia. Now they say they're from Ukraine, who were technically Ukrainian, but they would just say Russia before because it's just like the general Soviet Union, Russian power. And now they say specifically Ukraine because their identity was challenged. Now they more strongly identify with that. So I think that that's kind of exemplary of that. Yeah, I I, I remember when I was in the army in Mikve, I spoke to a guy that was from Ukraine and like he would just as easily tell people he was from Russia. And I'm pretty sure now he wouldn't. Right, exactly. Exactly. and yeah, I think I think that in terms of uh, you know the stress around surviving and the, this and everything else, like, and then it, there's also like the the romance of Judaism isn't there, and I think that that's something where if you don't love it, why do it? Yeah, you know, and it's a big commitment. It's a relationship, and it's a relationship that's forever working. And you're always gonna, you know, it's one of those relationships that like I think you have to be quite self conscious in as well. So mm-hmm. like. You never fully feel good enough. If you do, you're doing it wrong. Um, and like, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're dating God. <laughs> like, you believe that's like a ten at least. You know, at least, <laughs> at least a ten. Right. Um, so with that, there's a lot of pressure. Right. For sure. And if the romance is dead, a lot of people aren't going to want to do it. And I think that, you know, being in a relationship, in a surviving relationship. You know, doing it for the kids means when the kids go, you leave, right? You're right, done. Right, and then right. you can finally have the sweet release of divorce, you know? <laughs> um, right. But if you're in love and you can weather every storm, mm-hmm. that's something else. Right. And I think that we are currently doing it for the kids for a lot of us, you know? Wow. Wow. That was so astute. I think that's actually probably a really good point for me I didn't identify that because I feel like I have the opposite problem I have the romance which I think is a lot of it a lot of it is about you know Israel and the entire storyline and when I listen to any old Israeli song I will start crying I like I just can't help it I don't know what it is I just feel the connection to all of the past generations and what it means that I exist here today and it just blows my mind and constantly walking around seeing words in Hebrew which are the same letters from the Bible it just makes me want to cry out of joy and just I I don't know it's just it it leaves me speechless it's just so such overwhelming emotions so I feel like I have the romance but I don't have the maybe the commitment side in terms of religion always or sometimes I I put a lot of pressure on like you're supposed to do certain things and it's it's hard to try and figure that out so it's interesting that you said that you feel that people 
have the opposite problem where they can do like the commitment, but then if they don't have the romance, then they're just, you know, tapping out. So how, how do you think we can revivify that, I the would, romance? I would say the firstly, both are needed, right? Like, yeah, you fully need both. I don't, sure. you know, like you could, I mean, I don't want to like, you know, say anything controversial against like open relationships and anything else. Uh, but like if your goal is long-term commitment and something mm-hmm. that I would say is fully, fully fulfilling, right? you know, you've kind of got to commit. You've yeah. kind of got to put in the work. Yeah. And it's not always going to be the most fun. Right. Um, but at the same time, you're not going to do that if it isn't fun, if it isn't special, if it isn't something that you care about. And you can't make people care. I don't believe that that's possible. But like... I can say that, you know, I was very fortunate with some of the religious influences I had growing up. You know, that I was also very unfortunate with some as well. But um, <laughs> um, my grandfather was someone that lived in the world of Judaism. He was Judaism. And all the good parts of Judaism were reflected in how he was, how he treated every single person around him. This was someone that was considered by a lot of people to be a very special person and he never saw it in terms of he never acted better than anyone else and he was never too good for anyone else he was just as curious about his student his co-worker the bin man like everyone like he didn't care that's a human being and i think that he fully understood the assignment like you know the world was created every single person around you was created every single person has value everything has value we are grateful for that, and we do things in expression of that gratitude. And if you love your life, you, you're more grateful. And I think that, that that way of existing rubbed off on me in terms of, you know, I, I romanticized that, that way of living, that ideal. Um, I think that you can also find in, in, on the flip side, like I went to a religious elementary school. That's right, primary school for the English. Um, and, uh, you know, the arrogance of the teachers was something that I would Palpable. say is incredibly off-putting, right? Yes. Like, oh, you, like awkward British nine-year-old. Mm-hmm. Why is it you can't memorize Mishnah? <laughs> Are you dumb? And like, I personally don't like feeling dumb. Uh, which is unfortunate so given my uh, predisposition. But, um, yeah, I don't particularly love it. Uh, and being belittled by a man in his 40s who's been doing it his whole life uh, was not exactly, uh, as as we would say in IDC, the vibe. Um, so it was quite off-putting for me. So I had I had my issues with that, and and I think that that was a big part of it. If you ask me now, I would still say I don't believe I I believe if you want to teach people Judaism in schools, fine, but it shouldn't be graded. I don't think mm-hmm. that people should uh, stress about Judaism like that. I think that that's something that hurts relationships. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that that in in a in an actual relationship, if I was dating someone and I had like her parents and my parents like in front of me in a panel like rating whether or not the relationship was good. Right, right. I'll break up with that girl. <laughs> I'll break up with her because no, like it's stress. It's not. That's not right. why you do it. Right, right. Um, and I think the the there's there is a an inherent issue at the moment with orthodoxy and how it comes, how it approaches, um, education and building that relationship at an early age. And I think that, um, 
there's a right way and a wrong way. And mm. I, again, I'm I'm lucky that that not that I was saved in the Christian sense, but like that my uh, relationship with my grandfather saved the relationship I could have with Judaism. Right. Wow. Because the mm-hmm. world definitely pushed me away from it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. sometimes still does. Yeah. Wow. That was that was a palpable example about the the panel with the, with the parents. Um, I I guess I never really thought about trying to reimagine Jewish education or not being graded on it. So it's actually a really interesting idea, and I'm sure a lot of people are talking about it. I personally just have never thought about that, but I would be really curious to explore that more to try and find ways to both increase the romance for kids like in in their connection with with god and so you're growing up with having a positive association with with the jewish people in general and also with god and also with israel i think like a lot of schools will only focus on one of those facets or with with the mitzvot um but yeah that's that's a really beautiful point um ian i want to ask you are you afraid of death terrified are you um I would say I would say religion helps. <laughs> mm, yes. Um, I I actually after my grandfather died, I started suffering a lot from death anxiety. Mm. It was a bad bad thing because I I like I woke up in the middle of the night and like at twenty six year old uh, years old, like you know you know like people die right. and you will die. Everyone will die. Like, You're aware of the reality. Yeah. Of death However. Life. For some reason, I hadn't fully articulated that in my head. I hadn't fully uh, come to the conclusion that that also meant me and that there was a thing I will experience, that there is no choice, that there's this great barrier between life and death that I will have to pass through at some point. I don't know when. Mm -hmm. And whatever is on the other side is is the biggest commitment I'll have to make. Right. Because you spend the majority of your time there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I don't remember before, so I can't tell you much about it. Um, but it wasn't so bad that you know of (laughs) that I don't know terrifies me too like I like existing I'm a big fan of existing I've been doing it for quite some time right Uh, and I can say that like I I think that that I like existing is probably like inherent with me being healthy to a degree yes yes Um, (laughs) great point yeah so yeah it just does death scanning or I think embarking on a forever commitment that I don't fully understand is uh terrifying daunting for sure um even if it is good even if i've lived a good life and like i i fully believe i'd be going to a heaven like does that heaven mean i'll ever see my mom again you know Mm -hmm. does that heaven mean that i'll get to do like any of the things in life i've come to find as special or meaningful right you know like what is doing what is being like without a brain what what am i you know and like i can try and understand it in a way that is you know less abstract like you know like phones are connected to wi-fi and then information is sent and we don't see it but things exist outside of the physical that that we clearly understand because we're able to send data and we're able to do all these other things and what's to say that like you know i'm like i'm just the computer but like the wi-fi is uh is this other thing that like I'll still exist through, mm-hmm. you know, like there's ways to try and rationalize it. But at the end of the day, we're all going to die right? and we have to accept it. Yes. And as far as we know, at the very least, existence as we know it will be done. Right. Right. From our perception. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that 
one of the just to connect a little back to when you were talking about you know the awkward within the awkward is the most awkward I think the moments where I feel the least awkward or the most connected to people is when I'm acknowledging that everyone's going to die and there was also this um idea by Ernest Becker that really resonated with me a lot he was talking about that basically his his thesis is that the all of all of human nature can be attributed to a person's fear of death and I ruminated on that for a really long time and it began to resonate with me more and more and the more that I looked around the world and saw the way that people were acting and attributed it it to their fear of death it became to feel a lot more true to me like if you see people who are are, who are a lot more nihilistic it makes sense you know um that that one's kind of intuitive right it's like ah nothing matters so like why why do who cares and then but at the same time it also makes sense when people are trying to work really hard and achieve and pursue because all they feel that they can control is what's happening right in front of them and it just made me feel a lot more compassionate towards everyone and a lot more connected to them and it's amazing that death is such a profound concept and everybody goes through it no matter how dumb you are no matter how lowly you are how great you are it, it's it's such an equalizer and everyone will go through it and it's such an amazing thing that everybody has to contemplate and I don't know I feel really comforted by death and life and sometimes it's scary I think I'm scared of dying but I think death I don't know why for some reason I feel more connected to other people I don't know how I feel about death specifically but I feel a lot more connected to other people by virtue of the fact that we're all going to die and we're all doing life together and we're all just trying to figure it out together and I think that's really comforting for me personally um Ian I wanted to ask you, do you have a question for my next guest? What is getting in the way of you being the exact person you want to be? Oh, good question. I'm really grateful for that. That's a great question. I'm definitely going to ask my next guest that. And my last question for you is, what is a dream you have for your future self? It's an easy answer because it's what I what I say a lot, which is I want. It's not really even for a future me. I want to buy my mom a house. I want to buy my mom a house. One day Beautiful. I'm gonna do it. One day I'm gonna do it. Oh, I love that, Ian. Yeah. Ian, that's so amazing. Such a good answer. I think I'm I'm so grateful for your story and everything that you shared with me. I loved hearing about your grandfather. I found that really moving and explains more to me about your person. And I think that that is very visible me knowing you as a person and hearing about your grandfather I think that you emulate him and how you described him and it's just really beautiful to see how generations impact each other and I'm so grateful for your time thank you for sharing your soul with me with the viewers my pleasure yeah thank you to everyone for listening and I hope you have a blessed day the wandering jew podcast exploring beautiful humans thoughts and experiences with Naomi Edelman all our shows and podcasts available online on our website and on all podcast platforms. Search Audioversity 